Hello and welcome to the Unbundled Attorney Mastermind Podcast. My name is Dave Ahrens and I'm the co-founder and CEO of Unbundled Attorney. In this podcast, we interview many of our provider attorneys, as well as some of the leading experts in the industry to isolate the best practices for building internet generated leads and how to ethically and effectively offer unbundled legal services and other more affordable options in your practice. For more information about our services, visit www.unbundledattorney.com. All right, today we're going to be interviewing uh, Jamila Little, who is one of our immigration attorneys in West Florida. Originally from Trinidad, is an immigrant herself and transitioned into becoming an immigration attorney after having a background in a corporate world and corporate practice, you know, making good money, but not feeling like she was making the impact. She felt like she had, you know, desire to make a difference and was drawn and called to immigration. And, uh, you know, as she shares on this episode, it took her four years to, uh, to make the jump from, you know, being in the corporate world, corporate lawyer, to starting her own practice and following that, that desire to make a difference through immigration as an immigration lawyer in her own solo practice. And she talks about some of the fears that she had to overcome and also how she got the practice off the ground. And some of the things that she did in the early days, and then later on, how she was implementing some systems that helped her streamline and make her practice a lot more efficient, and how that's uh, impacted the way in which she can work with clients more affordably, more creatively. Uh, we also talk about pay-as-you-go, and in immigration, you know, a lot of cases, you know, in family law as well, you know, some of these cases take some time, and so there's an opportunity to. You know, test out working with clients uh, where you don't have to pay charge so much up front, and then using you know, uh, billing software that allows you to automatically bill a card whether you want once a week, once a month. Um, you know, and she mentions uh, law pay on this uh, episode, which many of our attorneys have used it. Um, but it really for her having that cash flow and working with people. Not only has she been able to serve three out of five more clients which to her has represented over $15,000 a month in additional revenue by not charging $1,500 up front and accepting $250, $400 down. But she also feels like it's it's she's making a difference by making her services more affordable and accessible. So it's that combination of making more money. And I think that's a real underlying misconception is if you lower your upfront retainer, you know, folks are not going to pay it. And, and, and I think a lot of attorneys are afraid that they're going to get uh, they're going to be out uh, some money by having to being forced to represent folks that aren't paying them. But in reality, what I think what we've shared on this episode and she talks about is is how much uh, additional revenue there is by being able to open the door to so many other clients. So, and we also talk about transparency, sharing you know her being transparent with her clients in order to you know allow them to be and and help them feel comfortable being transparent with her about you know sharing their exact situation all the factors of their legal case, but also where they're at financially so that she can use her creativity to find a way to serve them. So really uh, just enjoy this episode. There's, I think there's so much in here that any immigration attorney, any, any attorney practicing in any area can take away from this to better relate to their clients and find more creative ways to, to work with them so that uh, more people can access your services. So with that, let's get right into it. This interview with Jamila Little, one of our immigration attorneys out of Western Florida. to the show. Thank you. Yeah, looking forward to this conversation. Uh, we've had quite the saga thus far over these past four months of working together. Uh, some expansions to new cities, some tracking back to your local area, a lot of success in your local region. So 
Very excited to chat with you today and unpack uh, the story. So thank you for taking the time. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. All right. So great place to start, Jamila, is obviously you have a unique background coming from Trinidad and being an immigration attorney. So I'm sure that can give you a uh, a greater degree of empathy for what you know immigrants mm-hmm. such as myself. I'm from Canada. So I immigrated to the United okay. States in the late 90s. And so kind of went through a very similar process of becoming a permanent resident mm-hmm. through my family. So uh, why don't you share a little bit about your background, nice. how you came to the U.S. and uh, decided to become an immigration attorney. Okay, sure, Dave. And that's so nice to hear. It's so interesting sometimes when you have conversations with people that immigration touches everyone. You know, I actually didn't know you were from Canada. So that's pretty cool in my books. Um, so, yeah, I am originally from Trinidad and Tobago, small twin islands in the Caribbean. And I moved here about 17 years ago. Doesn't seem that long, but it's been a while. And I started school, did undergrad um, and then my master's and went on to law school because I, for some reason, always wanted to practice law. And during law school, I was exposed to immigration and um, I did all the clinics. Actually, had the opportunity to meet real clients, represent them in court um, under the guidance, obviously, of my professor, and just kind of fell in love with it. Uh, but when I started practicing, I decided to go the commercial route because I did have a background in finance and an MBA, and decided to try to u- use those things to move on with my law, my law practice, and um, didn't like it. Didn't like it at all. I was still doing immigration pro bono. And so it just, you know, it just came down to, am I going to do what I love or not? And so about two years ago, I decided to open up my own shop. And now I practice primarily immigration. And I love it because I really feel like I help people. And as you mentioned before, I I do take a, a, a very sympathetic approach because I know what it's like to walk in their shoes. I know what's at, what's at risk. For them, you know, it's high risk, um, especially in this in this time that we live in. And so I really enjoy starting a case and being able to help people and being able to offer so many resources. A lot of them actually learned um, from my time with Unbundled Attorney and being able to offer every single client a way to get help. Hmm. Yes. And uh, by the way, did you, so you did go to law school in Florida. At what point did you come from Trinidad to the United States? Yeah, I actually came from Trinidad after high school, um, uh-huh. and so I went from from high school to college. I attended Spelman College in Atlanta, and um, then went on to um, business school, and then from there, I was in Atlanta for about nine years, and then from there, moved to South Florida. So I went to school in Miami, shout out to FIU. <laughs> And um, got my law degree there and really got my feet wet with immigration there. I had a really good immigration professor. Um, And then, you know, basically from there decided to move to Tampa just because it was um, it was better for me in terms of my family. They were they were here and I wanted to be close to family. So I moved to Tampa. Awesome. And so can you contrast uh, the life you had working as a sounds like a commercial or corporate lawyer? to mm-hmm. the practice you run today? And also, can you get at what that feeling was for you at the time when you felt... Obviously, you were doing pro bono. You were kind of loving the way you were helping people in immigration. But you know, you, you, maybe you had the... You, know, you felt like you had to make money in the corporate world and being a corporate attorney and maybe had some you know, concerns Can you about making the jump. Can you just kind of flash back to those, those moments when you're right before the transition and kind of what made you make that decision 
um, and maybe what prevented you from making that decision for some time? Absolutely. Um, fear <laughs> was one one feeling to leave the the known and what was really steady and stable and a, a really good job um, with a firm in, in South Florida with potential for growth. Um, but it just, honestly, it was not where my heart was. And I knew it. And it took me about four years to actually make that transition to actually owning my own practice. And I, I took it little by little. Um, I actually started off, you know, just doing pro bono and getting my name out that I'm doing immigration. Um, and then when I actually started my firm, I still did some contract work in addition to running my own firm. And that kind of gave me some stability as I build my clientele. And then I just felt, I really, really just felt like I needed to go all in. At some point, I just really needed to go all in. And so it was a leap of faith for me. And really, I haven't looked back, and it's been an amazing journey. Hmm. And do you remember what, what it was that uh, that propelled you to finally make that decision? Did you have you know an office open up, or was there kind of a window that kind of opened up? Or, you just, or was it a certain point where you're just like so frustrated? Maybe you had one bad day in your corporate job, you're just like, you know what, I'm done with this. I mean, you just got to a point of decision. Like, what was that moment of decision for you? I just, you know, I just felt that it was, you know, it was time, you know, I felt like, and I'm a, you know, I'm a person of faith and I felt that this was, this was the direction that God was leading me into. Because for me, you know, my practice is more than just, you know, I went to law school, I want to be an attorney. But I feel like it's, it's, it's my passion and it's a calling for me. And so I felt like it was just time for me to take that step because at some point I knew I would get locked into the lifestyle and it was just safe and I made pretty good money. So why leave? Um, and it was, you know, a lot of people thought it was a little bit crazy, um, but I felt like that is what I had to do. And, you know, it's been, it's been amazing. It's been really, really amazing. Just having the, the ability to work my cases the way I feel best. Um, you don't always have that in a, a medium-sized firm. Um, and just having the latitude to take clients that maybe would not have ever gotten assistance because they couldn't afford an attorney or they thought they couldn't afford an attorney, having the ability to do that now and having that flexibility, you know, I love it. I really love it. Absolutely. And I can only imagine so many lawyers go to law school. Yeah, you know, they, they can make great money, but I think just as important as making great money or, you know, certainly up there is being able to make a difference. And it seems like uh, so many law students get um, jobs in corporate settings or in environments that um, aren't necessarily in alignment with what they felt was the way they could make a difference or in a practice of area that they were passionate about, but then get stuck in the job and, and maybe attached and tied to the, the understandably, the, the financial security. Maybe they have a family and, and, and need that consistent income. And so it seems like there's 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 that moment where either if you go that route you have to make the jump otherwise you, like you said you could get stuck in that or do you, do you think exactly. it's possible that you could have started from the beginning or do you feel like this path was the way you had to go to wow. kind of experience <laughs> the opposite I think I think I had to go this route because I needed to I needed to now I have so much drive to do what I want to do 
And I have that drive, I think, because I had the opportunity to experience the, you know, the corporate and the firm world first. So I know what I know what that's like. I know what it's about. Um, and so I knew what I was letting go. Um, I didn't know what I would be embracing once I left. But, um, you know, I have no regrets. I have absolutely no regrets. Do you, do you, I mean, this is, do you have a, any message for attorneys that are working either in a firm that obviously pays the bills, but they're not feeling like they're, you know, truly passionate, or maybe they're working in an environment that they're not so happy about, but they have, you know, a passion and want to make a difference? Um, is there anything you can share about your perspective and how this has worked out for you in running your solo practice um, to someone that might be in that position and, and maybe has that same fear to, to make the jump into pursuing the area practice or the, you know, they're opening their own practice or whatever it might be that uh, is going to, you know, be in alignment with their passion? Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think we all have real, real needs to, to have financial stability. We, we all went to school. We all went to law school for the attorneys out there. And hopefully at some point your decision to go to law school wasn't totally about making a lot of money. Um, but I would say to them, if this is something that you feel passionate about doing, then try it. You know, I always tell my colleagues, we have such a flexible degree, a law degree, you could do anything. And if it doesn't work, you could always go back to corporate America or go back to firm life and, you know, get another job. But how would you know if it's going to work if you never even try? You know, your heart may be leading you to your passion, to what you were created to do. And I think with a law degree, we have so much power as attorneys to help people to change lives and to also make a living doing that. So for those out there who feel like there's more out there, there is more out there. And if you feel like your heart has taken you into that direction, just try it. Just, you know, try it. And if it works, great. If it doesn't, you can always go back. That is, uh, that is some sage advice. So let's, let, let's uh, and I appreciate you sharing that. Thank you. Uh, Absolutely. I'd love to maybe jump forward to you know when you first started your practice up and running. Uh, if you could share some mm -hmm. of the things that you know you did well, some of the things that you had as you know um, kind of helping you and supporting you, but also some things that you struggled with initially that um, you know you were you, you were able to overcome, or maybe just talk a little bit about how you got your solar practice going. What are the things that really helped you do that effectively, and some of the things you had you you had to work through to to become successful as a as a solo practitioner in immigration. Okay. So one of the things that you come to realize very quickly is that you are not only practicing and doing the work, but you're also running a business. And the two are drastically different. When I first started, I wanted to try to keep my overheads low. And so I started off with one office as a virtual office. And that worked really well for me. Um, I had front desk staff that would greet my clients when they come in. And so the face of my firm looked extremely professional. I still keep that office. It's with Regis. And it really worked well up until the point where I was getting so many <laughs> clients um, coming in that you pay per, per hour if you, have a, um, if you have one of those type of offices. Um, and so it was getting to the point where I was paying so much. I was like, well, I'm paying all of this to rent a room per hour. I might as well just go ahead and get, um, get some office space. 
but I did have a virtual office for some time and that worked really well for me. I have, I found out early out that having, um, having some systems that help you automate a lot of your processes is very helpful, especially as a solo practitioner. So I went about trying to learn about things that and software that I could utilize that would help my practice run seamlessly and keep that professional face for my clients. And so we spoke a little bit about INS Zoom for immigration. I actually use INS Zoom and didn't start using it at the beginning of my practice. But when I did learn about it, I incorporated it and it's been a huge, huge help for the ton of documents that we actually need to fill out for most immigration applications. Very, very helpful. And then there are other, you know, there are other software packages that I use that make the process, some of the processes like processing payments really simple on my end and also very convenient for my clients. Some of those things, like I said, I didn't incorporate it at first and ran into obstacles that stopped clients from paying and um, just things that made practicing a little bit more difficult and made the running of the business side of it a little bit more difficult. But I've found that if you can find the type of software that would specifically help your firm become more automated, it's really, really helpful. Um, it really helps efficiency. Hmm. Can you can you describe and maybe give some specifics of you know it's unique in the you have you're in a unique situation that you started out your practice without some of these tools in place and then have since transitioned to having them in place and obviously that creates a different experience for the client makes it more seamless as you described but maybe can you share some specific things that are different now that you have some of these tools in place that have streamlined some of these tasks, like some of the things that it enables you to do or some of the things that it has eliminated in your practice? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll talk about, I'll talk about um, INS Zoom uh, specifically for immigration. And I'm pretty sure there's software that is out there for each type of practice area. INS Zoom allows me to send out to my clients questionnaires for them to fill out with all of their information that flows really, really seamlessly into the forms that I would need to send in to USCIS or to other immigration agencies to complete petitions or applications. And just to give you an idea, sometimes to full or to complete one case, you probably need about five different documents. You need to send in about five different documents. And over the past couple of years, USCIS has increased the length and complexity of these documents. So what I found myself doing is collecting paper documents from clients with information about themselves, about their history for the past five years. And so it's a lot of paperwork, taking that manually from them and entering that into five different sets of forms. So you can imagine how time consuming it was. Um, and so for me, INS Zoom was such a time saver because I could actually send my clients the questionnaires and they would fill it out themselves. I figured they know the best about themselves, right? So they can fill out a questionnaire about themselves, send it back to me, and then that information flows into the actual form that I need to send in. So that was really helpful. Mm-hmm. Another system that I started it, it, using... I don't want to interrupt, but can you mm-hmm. quantify what that difference is? In the amount of time, like when you're when you're sitting down, in they time? fill it out on paper, wow. and then you have to manually enter, 
versus having it where I, they're doing it themselves. You're not even going to do it with them. And then it auto populates yeah. into all, all those forms. Yeah. I would say in time, believe it or not, it would cut maybe a four hour process into one hour. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that was huge for me. That was huge for me. Um, and I, and I have some colleagues out there who are resistant <laughs> to this software, but you know, I tell them it will, it will trans, it will change, it will change your life. You know, it will totally transform the way you practice immigration. So that's a, that's a free plug for INS Zoom. Well, sure. Um, yeah. INS, this one's on us, but <laughs> give us a call. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Definitely. Um, so I was also going to talk about law pay. This is another per, another um, piece of software that I use, and I know a lot of attorneys who have the unbundled service actually use law pay, and it's something that that you guys also talked about in many other podcasts. And I love law pay. It, it's it's very simple to send out invoices. Um, I've set up payment plans for clients using law pay. And what I usually do with my clients is once they come in, I set the expectation where they can make an initial deposit. And this is something that I hadn't been doing before. And one of the things that once I started implementing, it really increased the amount of cases that I was closing. Prior to implementing this, I would either take my total fees up front or have the client pay at least half. And that's not just, just not a reality for everybody to be able to do that financially. So what I now do using law pay is I would have the client tell me what they can afford to put down as a down payment. And as long as they have some sort of bank account or credit card that I can use through law pay to set them up on a payment plan, I would do that. I utilize payment plans really, really heavily um, for my clients. And they get to choose the day that they want their payment to be deducted. Sometimes they choose monthly and law pay is so flexible. It'll let you do it monthly, bi-weekly, weekly. And so I just let the client choose how they want this payment to come out and set it up and it just keeps going until the total fee is taken out of their account. So over the process of time, they pay their fees. And immigration is such that because a lot of the processes take months and months, they actually don't have to pay it all up front. Because if your case is going to take six to nine months to close, you have the opportunity to make those payments over that time. Um, and so that's just another system that I, I currently use that's really, really helpful. And and I'm assuming that has made a tremendous difference in the amount of people that are retaining you because they can put down... I mean, can you give an example of what you used to charge, whether it be the full amount or half, and what they're what you what people are paying now, and how that's impacted the number of people that are able to afford to move forward with your services right away? Yeah, I mean, the majority of my clients, as long as there's a way that I could actually help them with their case, they're happy to to move forward on a payment plan if they if they need to, and so instead of upfront having to pay maybe $1,500 to $2,000, if they could afford to pay $400, $500 upfront and then be put on a payment plan that would allow them to pay maybe $100, $150 a week or, you know, four dollars five, $600 a month. And I'm really, really flexible as to what, what works for them. Then that just opens the door to allow them to make those payments as they go whenever they actually get paid from their jobs. 
So it's a lot it's a lot easier to think, okay, this pay period I'm gonna pay five hundred dollars as opposed to, oh my goodness, I have to pay five thousand dollars this pay period. So Yeah. I can only imagine how many more people just no, it, it's interesting at each different financial level, you know, there's going to be some some attorneys that say, I want $5,000 up front. Only a certain amount of people can afford that. Let's just say one out of 20. You know, but then once you get to the point where you're doing, okay, well, we'll take 2500 now, 5000 Okay, well, maybe two out of 20 or one out of 10 can now afford that, right? But now if you say, okay, right. well, instead of 2500 I can do 1000 I can take maybe half of that down and, you know, do a sort of payment. A lot more people can afford that, maybe three, four, five two, three, four out of 10 or something like that. But all of a sudden when it's like, hey, what can you put down? And it's $200, 300 500 something like that. And then what can you afford a month? I mean, when you have that level of flexibility, it's no wonder that I think you said your conversion rate was something like four out of five or eight out of 10. Yeah. Uh, my my conversion yeah. rate for the Tampa, yeah, for the um, Tampa Bay area is probably four out of five clients. And I would say maybe... Three out of every five of my clients actually request a payment plan. So it's, it's extremely, extremely helpful and valuable to them, especially knowing their their situation. They're here and they're in need of help. And so if they could get this help and it's affordable, they, there's no way they're not going to do it. Mm-hmm. So what what are your thoughts, Jamila? On uh, obviously we just we said Lauren on the podcast as well. She shared the same thing as far as you know. She's just uh, in in the vast majority of her cases, something like 90, 95% of cases, she's eliminated the upfront retainer and is just doing pay-as-you-go mm. in the way that it is. And this is in family law. And sometimes family law has you know some different time frames and time factors involved. And so she balances that to a certain degree. And that's sometimes when she has to do the upfront retainers. The person's got to go to court. There's an enormous amount of work that needs to be done within the first month. But that usually is in the case with immigration. Why do you think that so many other attorneys haven't been implementing that. Do you think it's just they haven't tested it? Do you feel like maybe there's just some fear that they won't collect that money? And and what would you say to that? Like, what's been your experience? I think it's a little bit of both because, as I mentioned before, before maybe mid last year, it was not something that I had actually implemented in my practice either. And I decided to to try it out and see how it worked for me. A little bit more of um, the security comes with being able to keep the payment plan going and being able to tell my client, well, this is a convenience to you to be allowed to get a payment plan over the course of your your actual case. And as a convenience convenience to me, we'll just automatically debit it out of your, your account. And so I think the fear for most attorneys is that they're not going to get paid. We've all, we've all been in that situation where we've been forced to do pro bono cases because we don't get paid. Um, but I think if you have that client's case over a period of three, four, five, six months, and you have a payment option where you can automatically debit their payments, then to me, that provides a lot of security. I have not had, since I've been doing this, I honestly haven't had any clients who haven't paid. Now, I've had times where their cards didn't go through because it's just an automatic payment. It's going to go, I'm not going to know if they have the funds or not, but it's just going to keep going. So I've had times when their payment didn't go through and it sends, LawPay sends a notification to me, it'll send a notification straight to them. So I don't even have to tell them that their payment didn't even go through. 
And they would reach out to me and say, can I include this in my next payment? Um, and so I haven't, I honestly haven't had an issue with it. It's been more of, of a, a help for me to build my practice, to be able to um, put clients on payment plans and have the auto debit system going that it has been a hindrance. I think for people who don't utilize it, they maybe just haven't tried it out. And, uh, you know, I would say try it and see how it works for your practice. Yeah, I feel like we need to get like way on top of a mountain somewhere and just yell <laughs> that. Yell, we just, no, yeah, no one hasn't absolutely. paid me. And on the flip side, <laughs> right? You used to, you know, like you said, right. of the five clients needed that payment plan. So that means if right. you didn't, and you were charging fifty. They would have walked out the door. The they would have walked out the door. Yeah. So how much? How do we? Yeah. How can we quantify? And I think this is where attorneys don't look at the is the opportunity cost of not right. offering this, and how much additional right. income that brings in. Is there a way you could quantify that? Like what average client is worth, and if three to five are walking out the door, like how many clients you do a month? Like, could we do some quick math yeah. on this just to get clear? Like I mean. On, I mean, if, you know, if an average client for me is, let's say, $2,500 and I'm going to lose, um, let's say, three of them, that's <laughs> just really much. I mean, yeah. that's $7,500. Yeah, that's $7,500. And let's say you multiply that by six clients per month. Like, that's a lot. That's a lot of money. That's $15,000 um, per month that you're just letting go. That you're letting go. That you're letting go. Um, and the thing that I have seen over time is that, you know, it, it may seem like little amount, you know, like, okay, I have 10 clients that pay maybe, um, you know, $150 a week, uh, but that's just $1,500 a week in payment plans that comes in that I do nothing for because I've already set up their case, their case is going, and some of the cases are, you know, maybe done and they're still on their payment plan, but I, I'm still collecting that money in additional in addition to new cases that come in. So, you know, if you can make fifteen hundred, two thousand dollars every week just because of the payment plans that you have set up, why not? Why not do it? Well and having that cash flow it must give you confidence in in knowing that you've got your bills paid, you've got your expenses covered and you know yeah. how, how does that how do you how does that feel to know that you have that that money coming in every month and every week i mean it's it's really it's really great to know I actually look at you know i I look at all the payment plans that I have set up and kind of do an analysis projecting out okay, this is how much it's gonna be every month, and then as I add clients, I make changes to it, so it does create that stability that we're all kind of looking for to know I'm going to have at least $2,000 a week, which is $8,000 a month just from payment plans coming in. So isn't that interesting, yeah. right? The very, the very it thing. It, well, is it so interesting? Like the very thing that most attorneys are afraid of is like that security. They need that money up front to create the security that they're going to get paid. But at the same time, if they, if they were to, like loosen that grasp on that need for that that certainty for collecting that money up front. The security comes in the monthly cash flow from the payments. Right, right. Like you, you're secure in your practice because you know that the money's coming in every month, right? And so it's just it, it really, like you said. I think a lot of attorneys just haven't really taken. I think you said earlier about something else: a leap of faith in just running the numbers and seeing what happens, and just taking a even just a statistical analysis on, you know, testing these different, uh, more flexible payment options and working with people on a pay-as-you-go. 
Yeah. And it does take time to build up to 10 clients that you have on a payment plan. But, you know, as you as you go along, it makes sense to keep those 10 clients as opposed to have them walk out the door. So yes. I, I and think they, and I they... think if you look at it that way, yeah, if you if you look at it that way, it just makes sense. Um, and, and when you think long term about building your practice, the more clients that you have, what do, what do clients do when they are happy with their service? They go and they tell more people. And that's exactly how you have your word of mouth marketing being spread. So it, it really, really just makes sense. I think sometimes you look at the short term. I'm not going to get this upfront $5,000 retainer. But if you look at it long term in terms of building your practice and having that stability over time, as well as having happy clients who go out and tell people about the great service that they got and more people come to you and, you know, it, it just makes sense. Yeah. And then, of course, every one of those people that walks out the door because they can't afford it is now someone that needs legal assistance and is not getting it. And exactly. you know, that's, the, that's one of the major... That's the, the major problem we have in the United States is that legal services aren't affordable, aren't accessible. And we've got 60 70% in most courts of people going unrepresented primarily because it's too expensive, because they don't have attorneys like like you that are willing and open to offer these options and it is and isn't it interesting that you know the the you know I was at an unbundling conference maybe 2 3 months ago and some attorneys were feeling like you know offering unbundled or pay as you go um, you can't make money doing that and this opened up a really uh um fervent discussion uh at this <laughs> event because uh in in reality what we found the numbers to be and we've had you know so many different attorneys in the network coming on the show sharing what these numbers look like is that by offering these pay as you go options the marketplace is so ripe and needs attorneys that are willing to offer that that there's so many more clients that are going to be able to not only get uh get the help they need that that, that are going to pay for that that you make way more money as a result you said an average of $15,000 more a month in income generated from the clients that you can now serve. And all of a sudden, these clients that would otherwise go up and represented are also being able to get the legal help they need to proceed with their case, to protect their rights to live in this country, to secure citizenship, to bring their family into the, into the country and reunite. I mean, all the different things that you're helping them with. I mean, that sounds like you know what the whole goal in the first place was when you became a lawyer and right. wanted to make an impact. Yeah, it's, a, it's a definitely a win-win for, for everybody. Clients get help. Um, and, you know, I, and I tell, I tell clients that, you know, at this, especially at this point in the immigration fair and what's going on, there's a lot of busyness um, in the world of immigration today, a lot of change and a lot of things happening that maybe when I first moved here didn't happen. And they're not necessarily positive things for immigrants. And so I tell my clients, let's work it out. I find ways, I find creative ways to to have them become clients because I know that this would be so helpful for them. So just having the option to say, you know, if you if you work and you want a payment plan, we'll get it done is I think just something that they really, really appreciate. Yeah. Are there any other creative ways that you might mention that Either just are outside of the box, or anything else that comes to mind that you've done to to work with folks that were in uh, tight circumstances or otherwise. Um, sometimes there, I know that there are some 
companies out there, and I would you know say to everyone who is listening to this to check with your bar association, but there are some companies out there that also provide um, financing for um, for for cases um, mm-hmm. yeah. in different areas, and so that may be another another option if the client can go to a company that would provide financing and it kind of takes the burden off of them even having to be necessarily on a payment plan. Now, I obviously wouldn't know what the criteria would be for the client to actually be approved or to um, to repay that loan, but that's just another way I think that clients can actually afford, um, afford their cases if they can't even go on a payment plan, then maybe financing may be a good option for them. I'm curious, are there any specific uh, financing companies in your area that you've mentioned or suggested or anyone else that we've noted? And if, if there isn't really, or you just say, hey, you know, you might want to look into getting a credit card or what do, you, what do you advise someone in that circumstance to see if there's ways to get financing for them to be able to proceed in these types of matters? Yeah, I tell them, um, I tell them, you know, <laughs> if you want to, like I said, if you want to put it on a credit card, um, you could do a credit card. There, um, There's a company called um, Good Fund. They work specifically with immigrants um, to provide financing. So they've been, you know, really helpful to some of my clients as well. But there are also other companies that, you know, outside of the realm of immigration, and this is for, you know, for attorneys or practitioners who may be outside the realm of immigration, there are some finance companies that provide finance for different areas. I would say look, you know, look it up. I don't know them off the top of my head. So go look it up um, and see what they are. But, you know, for me specifically, because I do immigration, Good Fund, Good Capital Good Fund has been... um, the financer that sometimes I would have my clients to give them a call and see if that's something they could help with if they're not able to even afford a payment plan. So, you know, pretty much try to cover all the bases as to how can I help you to get your immigration process completed. Yes, exactly. Thank you for sharing that. And, you know, and there was also financing on the on the lawyer side as well. Um, there was a company I was at a Clio conference maybe a couple years ago. I don't know if this company's still around, um, but there was a company called Fundbox, and there are a few others hmm. where you could say, "Hey, I have this signed retainer agreement. I have this payment plan, but if you need cash now or oh. something like that, then you can get financing from these companies to maybe get the full amount up front if you really need it for cash flow reasons, with the, the assurance oh. that you have a case that's paying out." Um, and they charge some kind of a fee to do that because they're you know, providing the firm financing. But it's based upon, you know, do you have a case that's going to pay out over time? Sometimes you need money. Like this happens a lot, I think, in personal injury cases that take a couple mm-hmm. years to settle. Yeah. And they, you know, they got the settlement. The, the client's retained, but they need some money to, to be able to run this. But I could see other applications as well. So, um, But again, like you said, it's, it's just finding creative ways. How can we... And that's from a solution-oriented approach to you're, you're looking in front of a client, they have an issue, here's what their means are, and it's very transparent, right? You're really getting to the root of like, okay, how can we make this happen? What are all the options? Um, right. I suppose the exact opposite, which is being rigid. Well, this is how it works, you know, like this is yeah. the, these are the rules, right? And so where are those? Where For each individual firm that might be listening, like where are those areas that you can embed or imbue some flexibility into your practice, especially around your payment terms, to give people and enable people to to work with you more effectively. Right. And I think you just have to have the conversation 
you know, one thing that I emphasize with my clients is transparency, as I think a lot of attorneys will tell their clients, you know, I really can't help you if I don't know what I need to know. And so a a big part of that is not only in terms of the facts and factors surrounding their case, but also in terms of what their financial situation would be, specifically in immigration, as in some other areas of law. You know, you have fees to pay, you have court fees to pay, you have to pay to file things. And so, you know, if you have an application that's completed and the client says, well, I can't afford to pay to file it, then that totally shuts the process down. But if you have that conversation at the beginning in your first consultation, maybe over the phone when you first talk to the client, then you could set the expectations and you can offer some solutions and tell them, well, you may want to consider this or this. Even sometimes, you know, with immigrants, I have found that they they actually pool from family members. And so they'll get their family involved. And a lot of the applications that I do are family-based applications anyway. So it may be, you know, a husband and wife or a, a family with kids. And you find that they pool their resources together and, and get that money to make that payment. But I think it's so important to have the initial conversation about this is what it will cost. And let's see how we can make sure that everything that needs to be paid at the end of it all is paid. Yes. And how do you cultivate a space like a, like a, um, a space that's trustworthy and, and feels comfortable for the client to be able to share mm-hmm transparently where they're at something that i think a lot of people um you know take are it's very personal like what they have available mm-hmm. financially like how much money do you yeah. have right like what can you afford and you know it's mm-hmm. in our it's in our you know our training script you know the question is you know about how much do you have available to put towards this case and if people give you some pushback cuz i can right. just imagine if the lawyers you know some people might have the fear well if i tell them how much i have then then they're going to raise their or they're going to charge me more <laughs> right. or something like that you know like there's these fears yeah. and these like insecurities around money like how do you cultivate that 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 ability for people to feel okay about being transparent well so many things that i do well one first of all I, I, I basically just tell the client, you know, what it what it would cost because most of most, you know most of the fees for certain immigration applications are pretty much the same. You know, there's there's a you know a, a, not a broad spectrum. I think of what different attorneys would charge um, for certain applications, and so I just tell the client this is what it would cost. But even before that, what I do is I talk to the client to gain their trust. Because when I say that I've walked in their shoes, I know what it's like to be an immigrant. And so I talk to them about that journey. I'm really very open about my journey, tell them how I came here. And and I am transparent. And I think my transparency maybe allows them to open up not only about their journey, but when I say to them, well, what can you afford to start your case? They feel more comfortable disclosing, well, you know, I really don't have that money or I can pay it all up front when when I'm first transparent to them because I've gained that trust. They know that I'm here to help them. They believe that, well, you're you're an immigrant as well, so you know what I've been through. You know where I'm trying to go, and I, I, I genuinely do. Um, and so I think the first step is really to gaining the trust. And then secondly, just letting them know this is what it would cost. Realistically, this is what it would cost. So if you tell me what you're able to do, we can work something out where we'll make it happen. 
And, you know, these are, these are basically the words that I use to my clients. You know, I tell them, I'll work with you to make it happen, but I need to know where you are at. Yeah, that's so key. And, and I think, you know, being able to share your story in that way and, and maybe that's, you know, it's a good lesson, I think, for attorneys to remember, well, why did they become a lawyer? You know, why are they involved right. in the practice of family law or divorce or bankruptcy mm-hmm. or what is it? Why is it they're doing what they're doing? And it's probably because, right. I mean, yeah, maybe it's money, but it's really because, well, hey, I like helping people because, uh, you know, I was once divorced or maybe they, they fell on hard times financially at some point. Or they were once an immigrant, such as yourself, and know where they're coming from. Like, there's always something that you can share transparently, and from you know a standpoint of maybe some degree of vulnerability, I suppose, um, that mm-hmm. creates the space and the openness for them to also then feel like they can be transparent in the way you are. So you're kind of leading and creating that space for them. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, over the years, talking to different attorneys some family law attorneys, maybe bankruptcy attorneys, they have a story behind why they do what they do and it becomes personal. And so I feel like if you're able to share with your clients why you do what you do and let them know that, you know, you're not just, you're not just another case to me, you know, you're not just like a dollar sign. Yeah, I do. This is a firm that I'm running. It's a for-profit business, but I actually want to help and I'll find ways to help um, you know, I think if you come to your clients from that that direction, then they're very receptive and very open to wanting to share and wanting to be as open as possible with you as well. Absolutely. Well, hey, Jamil, I know we're running short on time here, so uh, we can we can wrap up. But I, I just want to thank you again for just you know sharing so openly about some of the things that you've had to overcome, some of the fears you, you you've worked with, and and also really getting some clarity on. The, the the true kind of economics behind working with people on a page you go and and obviously you know I have appreciation for how many people you're helping as a result and being willing to take that leap of faith and start offering those flexible payment options and 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 working with people because that's you know what what you care for you want to help as many people as you can you're doing this because it's your you know your sole purpose it's something that you're really drawn to and and you're you're embedding that into everything you're doing in your practice so I just thank you for being an example of uh, what we're you know trying to inspire attorneys to do all across the country because there there really shouldn't be an access to justice problem uh, if you know attorneys can kind of unify and share these ideas, implement technology in the way you're doing it. I mean, if you can you know cut down every task from four hours to one hour, you can just imagine how can that impact your margins? How can that give you like a little bit more ability to work with people financially? I mean, technology is a really big important component to this, so. Um, I just thank you for coming on and sharing uh, all these tips and ideas and strategies and and doing it from the heart. Absolutely. Thanks again, Dave. And thanks for all that you guys are doing as Adam Bundle as well. Well, yeah, you're so welcome. And uh, this is uh, certainly why we do what we do is to uh, inspire other attorneys and and, uh, and really shift this this industry. I mean, I think it's really a lot of the problems that we have as far as access to justice really come down to uh, misconceptions, untested assumptions, misconceptions and untested assumptions. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, that's what this is about is sharing these ideas and hopefully, uh, you know, a few attorneys will start implementing this and impacting, uh, lots of people as a result. So thank you again for everyone that's listening, applying these ideas. We're getting so much good feedback from the podcast and, and how you're implementing it. You know, it's not a question of, are you, we know you are. And, uh, so thank you for participating and being a part of this movement. And, uh, as always, uh, we will certainly see you on the next episode. 
For more information about how our lead generation services can help you grow your practice, visit our website at www.unbundledattorney.com. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please be sure to subscribe so you get each new episode as soon as it's available and leave us a rating and a review on iTunes. Once again, thanks for listening. Thank you.